Right. Uh, if you've got a Bible this morning, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 6. And we're, th- we're three weeks in our January series called Clearly. We're starting off the year, as every preacher I think is starting off the year of 2020, talking about vision, talking about clarity. Uh, what an easy year to actually do that, right? Uh, generally, in most churches, January, uh, pastors kind of set the tone for their church for the upcoming year. And uh, we certainly wanted to do the same. And so uh, two weeks ago, uh, we started this series, and we looked at Luke 17. We looked at the story of Jesus healing the ten lepers, and uh, those ten lepers, of all ten of them, only one came back to Jesus Christ to actually worship Him and uh, and to hear His word and to to give Him the glory uh, for being healed. And we said, you know, uh, starting off the year, we need to see Christ's redemption clearly in our own life. It really is important that we stop at the beginning of the year and just realize what Christ has done for us. Uh, and, and when you realize what Christ has done for you personally, it will motivate you to return back to him to give him the glory. So no preacher, no pastor, no church, no, no, no Christian can motivate you to do what only God can motivate you to do. And, and the motivation comes from when you realize that he saved me from my sin. And when you realize that, and you realize these lepers realized that they were outcasts, they were separated, they were diseased, and then they realized, I've been healed. One of them realized, man, Christ has done so much for me. It drove him back to the feet of Jesus. And, uh, and that's where we need to start, right? We need to start the year seeing Christ's redemption clearly in our own life. And now last week, we looked in Mark chapter 8, and we looked at a blind man that was healed by Jesus Christ in a city of Bethsaida. And what's interesting about that story that we looked at last week was that city of Bethsaida had many of, of, of Christ's mighty works done in that city. He did a lot of miracles there. He fed the, uh, the 5,000 there. He healed a bunch of people of their sickness and diseases. Uh, and yet, overwhelmingly, the city as a whole rejected him. In other words, all those miracles, all those signs, all those wonders, it didn't have the effect uh, of, of working out repentance But there was one man who was a blind man. The disciples found this blind man, and they brought him to Christ, and they really begged Christ to touch him and to heal him. And and we saw saw the story last week out of Mark chapter 8 that Jesus used some unconventional method of healing. When they brought the blind man to him, Jesus spat in his eye, spit in his eye. You know, okay, that's bizarre. He, He spit in his eyes, and then he touched him. And he said, what do you see? And the man said, I see men as trees. Okay, and then the Lord touched him again, and he says, what do you see now? And he says, he says I see every man clearly. And what we took away from last week was that, that once we see Christ's redemption in our own life clearly, well, the next thing we need to see is every man clearly. In other words, there's a whole multitude of people that have yet to hear the gospel And we need to see the lost as what they are. They're lost without Christ. But we also need to see the saved as they are. They're saved, and that means that they need to be connected into a body of believers. every, Every man is either a mission field or a missionary. Every man is a mission field or a missionary. And what I mean by that is every man either needs to receive the gospel, like they haven't responded yet to the gospel. Maybe they haven't even heard the gospel. And so they're a mission field like the people in Romania, like the people in Zambia, like the people in Kenya. Or, if they have received it, then God has called them to to share Christ's love with other people. They're a missionary. And you say, Jay, I'm not a missionary. Well, the Lord says you are. The Lord says that that you, as a a redeemed person, as a born-again believer, you've been given 
the ministry of reconciliation just like all of us have, okay? So that's not a, a ministry that's just given to a preacher or a pastor or a missionary. It's given to every, every believer. When we see all men clearly, it'll help us to be on mission for the Lord. Does that make sense? And so, and so that was last week's message. If you weren't here, uh, you can check the website out and we, we should have that posted. Okay, so this morning is the third week in our, in our series called Clearly. And this morning, really weird title. I know this. Okay, so if you already looked at your notes, you're like, what is this? This morning, I think God's Word is going to help us see our beam and our brother clearly. And that's about as lame as it gets. I'll be honest with you. That's pretty. That's a pretty bad title. Uh, that's all I could come up with. The more I, the more I've studied this, I was like, Lord, there's nothing better. <laughs> no, there's nothing better. Okay, so God wants us to see our beam. You don't even know what that is yet. And your brother, your brother in Christ, clearly. And when I say brother in Christ, I also mean your sister in Christ. Okay. And so we're gonna look at two passages today. So you get you get bang for the buck this morning. Uh, in Matthew chapter seven. Uh, there is a, a, a short passage of Scripture that the Lord uh, shares during the Sermon on the Mount. And we know that, that the Lord is... How many of you have heard the Sermon on the Mount? You guys know the story, right? Uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 are Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Uh, in Matthew 5, the Bible says, uh, "...and seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him." And then the next two chapters, excuse me, the next three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and seven are all that Sermon on the Mount. Here's the portion that I want to focus on this morning, Matthew 7 and verse, verses 1 to 5. The Bible says, Judge not that ye be not judged, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged, and with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considereth not the beam that is in thine own? Or how will thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thy own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. And so, and so there's where the, the lame title that I couldn't come up with anything better, that's where it comes from. It comes from the Lord teaching his disciples that you need to be careful because there may be a beam in your eye. And as you try to minister to other people and you easily spot the moat, the splinter, as we'll see in just a minute, the smaller stick, the smaller twig in other people's eye, you have to be careful that you don't neglect what's in your eye. And, and listen, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, it is the Sermon on the Mount. We know from the book of Matthew that there's a key phrase that's used only in the book of Matthew called the kingdom of heaven. That phrase is only used in, in the book of Matthew, and it deals with the physical kingdom of God on this earth. And, and listen, uh, Matthew is a very important book to be understood doctrinally uh, as it relates to the Christian. But I just want you to understand the point that Jesus teaches this lesson during the Sermon on the Mount. Then we're going to skip to the book of Luke. And in Luke chapter 6, it's not on the screen, uh, Luke, yeah, it is on the screen actually, Luke chapter 6 and verse 17, the Bible says that he came down with them, and the context is that he actually comes down from the mountain. This is a different time that the Lord was on the mountain praying. The Bible says he came down with them, with the disciples, and he stood where? In the, in the plain. Okay, and he's going to teach the exact same message that he taught on the Sermon on the Mount, at least a portion of it, 
Because we pick it up in verse 39, and it says this, He spake a parable unto them. Can the blind lead the blind? Shall they not both fall into the ditch? The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but thou but perceivest not the beam that's in thine own eye? Either how canst thou, canst thou say to thy brother, Brother, let me pull out the mote that's in thine eye, when thou thyself beholdest not the beam that's in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, cast out first the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to pull out the mote that's in thy brother's eye. So, so in two different situations, in two different church services, if you will, the Lord Jesus Christ taught the same passage. One has a doctrinal context for the kingdom of heaven, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. One, according to Luke chapter 6 and verse 20, has a context for the kingdom of God. The point is, there are some principles in the Bible, whether you're on the mountaintop or in the valley, God wants to communicate the same message. Does that make sense? The same sermon fits on top of the mountain as it does in the valley, especially this sermon, because it has to do with us and it has to do with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so with that being said as introduction, let's pray and ask God to teach us this morning. Father, we love you. We thank you for the word. Uh, Lord, as we, as we look into your text this morning, God, may your Holy Spirit give us understanding. He's the teacher. Uh, I'm not the teacher. He is the teacher, the Holy Spirit of God. And so we ask that he have free course in this place and that your word has free course. And uh, Father, help us to receive it as, as, as it really is in truth, the word of God. Uh, help us not to receive it as Jay's words or Baptist Church's words or, or this religious group's words. Help us just to see from your book, these are your words. And God, may our hearts be changed and may we love each other uh, in unity better and may we become better ministers because of what we learned today. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So, so we're going we're gonna to kind of focus out of the Luke passage, even though both of these passages contain this story. And so in Luke chapter 6, uh, verse 39, the Bible says, And he spake a parable unto them, Can the blind lead the blind? Shall they not both fall into the, into the ditch? And, and, and so the principle that I want to start, start with this morning is this. You and I may have a beam that blinds us in our ability to minister to other people. So don't look at your neighbor, because I'm not talking about them right now. I'm talking about you, all right? We, we all may have a beam that actually blinds us in our ability to minister to other people on Christ's behalf. And the Lord is really concerned with this. The Lord is really, really concerned with it. I mean, he's like so much so that he's, he's going to use some strong language to help us. Now, it, Luke chapter 6 and verse 39 does begin with this word, he spake a parable unto them. And if you're taking notes this morning, listen, a parable, as some would say, uh, is not what some would say. A parable is not a fictitious story to illustrate a moral or spiritual principle. So unfortunately, our Christian culture has adopted that definition of what a parable is according to the Bible. You've probably heard this saying, a parable is nothing more than an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Anybody ever heard that? Okay, scratch that definition out of your vocabulary because that is not what the Bible teaches a parable is. As a matter of fact, the Bible teaches that a parable is biblically to hide truth from those who have rejected it. It is to hide truth from those who have already rejected it. And we get this out of Matthew chapter 13 and verse 10. The Bible says that the disciples came and said to him, Why speakest thou unto them in, in parables? 
I mean, the disciples were, were kind of interested that Jesus changed his teaching methodology. In Matthew chapter 1 through Matthew chapter 12, he never used a parable. Then in Matthew chapter 12, they accused him of being the devil. They, they said, you're casting out devils by Beelzebub. And Jesus said, well, it's obviously you're rejecting uh, what's been laid out in front of you, that, that I am God in the flesh. And so because of their rejection, the Bible teaches us in Matthew 13 that he began to speak in parables. And here are the words of, Jesus, words of Jesus Christ himself. Verse 11, he answered and said unto them, because it's given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath, to him shall it be given, and he, hath, he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away even that he hath. Therefore speak I to them not you, but to them in parables, because they, seeing not, they see, seeing not, and hearing, they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, by hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand. And seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive. For this people's, and here's the key, this people's what? Their heart is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and for your ears, for they hear. I just want you to, to understand as we, as we open this passage this morning, it does begin with a parable. And what that means is that there are some religious people present that have already rejected what Christ is about to say. And there are some people that are really interested in learning from Christ, his disciples. And he's speaking this parable to hide the truth from re religious leaders and Pharisees and people like that. But he's speaking this parable so that his disciples can actually understand how to lead people. A parable is more than just an earthly story with a heavenly perspective or, or whatever that nonsense is. Actually, a parable is given because religious people have rejected his word. And God is going to give every man what he wants. You know, the Lord really is a gentleman. He is. He'll give you what you want. You want to know him more? He'll let you know him more. You reject what he reveals to you, and he'll blind you more. But that's just what the Bible teaches. And so, and so this story begins with a parable. You know, that, that really should make us frame our heart correctly anytime we're exposed to God's Word. Whether it's on Sunday morning service, whether it's, it's personal time in the Word of God, we want you to read through the Bible this next year. The key issue is going to be your heart as you come to God's Word. And, and the more open your heart is to, to hear God's Word, listen, God wants to reveal Himself. He wants to show you all of the things, all the promises that He has for your life. But the minute that you and I reject and stop believing by faith what he's told us and disobey and, and we refuse to, to align our life to him, we see, but we don't see. We hear, but we really don't hear. And so, and so this, this parable unpacks or un, opens with this issue of leadership. And so, so what he's speaking about in, in Matthew chapter 7 and Luke chapter 6 is our ability to lead other people. Remember, his disciples are right there who are going to be leading the ministry that he gives them. The religious leaders of Israel are also there, the Pharisees who are trying to lead the nation of Israel religiously, 
but just not effectively. And so listen, these Pharisees were certainly religious people. They were conservative. They were scriptural and Bible believers. But as you know from the Bible, listen, they had taught their own traditions as the commandments of God. And the Pharisees were awesome because they were actually really good, not only keeping the the commandments of God, but adding to it. And they were also really good at spotting the shortcomings in the lives of other people. Isn't that interesting? As a matter of fact, uh, let me just give you a few examples. Matthew 15, uh, it's not on the screen. This one's not on the screen, but but let me just give you a few examples. Matthew 15, verses 1 to 2. When the disciples of Jesus were were eating with him and the Pharisees observed, the Pharisees was like, oh, we kind of noticed, Jesus, your disciples didn't wash their hands before they ate. You guys read that story? I mean, it's like, man, they were just anticipating... any failure, any expectation that wasn't met, they were quick to judge and quick to speak on it. They even ask in Matthew 15, why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? They're not washing their hands before they eat bread. In, Ma- in Mark chapter 2, uh, they noticed that Jesus was eating with publicans and sinners, and they called him out on it. How is it that this man eats with publicans and sinners? And, and Jesus refutes them. He says, you know what? They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. And later on in the same passage, those Pharisees said, look, why do, why do our disciples fast and the disciples of John the Baptist fast, but your disciples don't fast? Why is that, Jesus? I just want you to understand that these Pharisees were really religious and they were really good at pointing out the shortcomings of other people. You could say they were really good at finding the moat, the stick in other people's eye. Now, I know you don't know any church people like that today, but if you did, today's list would have included those things plus many others. You know, a modern-day Pharisee would be able to judge appropriately whether or not your dress was right for Sunday morning. That's why I wore a tie today, just so I could halfway appease the Pharisees if they happen to wander in this morning. You know, the Pharisee would say in our modern Christian culture, well, you sat in my chair on Sunday morning. Did somebody sit in your chair? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) The Pharisee in our 21st century culture would absolutely and accurately be able to count the number of tattoos visible on your body and the placement of said tattoos on your body. The Pharisee would be able to say without hesitation what political party affiliation that you obviously are aligned to. The Pharisee of today would certainly comment on your hairstyle or color of hair as, as, as whether that really becomes righteousness and holy or not. He would or she would certainly comment on the style of worship songs, whether that was traditional, contemporary, or blended And oh, by the way, the modern-day Pharisee would be able to distinguish or differentiate between crunchy and soft for the communion cracker. Okay, we all know them, right? And the reality is we've all been them. Can we just be honest? We've all been them. You know, the the ability of a Pharisee to be critical and and certainly spot out the the thing in other other people's lives is, is certainly, I guess, one of their major flaws, the major flaw in their life was that they rejected Christ and his word. This is where we'll get to Matthew 15. 
you know, it says this in verse 10, he called the multitudes and said unto them, hear and understand, not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth a man. Then came his disciples and said to him, knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying, which some of you may have been offended by the short list I just read, and maybe that shows us where our heart is. Know you not that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. And then he says this, Let them alone. Leave them alone. Leave the Pharisees alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the, into the ditch. I want you to understand that the Lord has a heart for the spiritually blind. The Lord has a heart for those that do not know Christ and are spiritually blind. And as we learned last week, the Lord also has a heart for those that are saved but are blind. And the Lord is want, wanting to lead those that are blind. Isaiah 42 and verse 16 says this, I and I will bring the blind by a way that they know not. I will lead them in paths that they, have made, that they have not known. I will make darkness before them and crooked things straight. These things will I do unto them and not forsake them. I want you to understand the Lord wants to lead the blind. And I want you to understand that the Lord wants to use you to accomplish his ministry. He's given it to you. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 and 18, amongst many other references. Listen, God has called all of us that are saved into a ministry of reconciliation. The problem that we have is the same problem that the Pharisee had and the, and the same problem that those disciples were warned of in Luke chapter 6. The problem is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. The problem is hypocrisy. And, and again, as we look at these two parallel stories, Jesus' words to both those on the Sermon on the Mount and those the Sermon in the Plain the question on the table was, why do you behold the mote that's in your brother's eye, but you don't consider the beam that's in your own eye? And then he uses the strong word in Luke 6 and verse 24, thou hypocrite. Okay, And so, and so definition of terms in your notes, just for understanding, the word mote in the Bible is a dry twig, a straw, something very small, almost insignificant. You could, you could relate it to a splinter. It's something withered. Think, think something minute or minuscule. But a beam is like a stick of timber or a support beam that would hold up weight. Think a four-by-six post. If you've ever built a deck or built a building, you want heavy timber to support the structure. And, of course, a hypocrite is, is one who wears multiple masks, portrays one thing while being something else. The hypocrite is the one with a beam in his eye. And the reality is, look, hypocrisy affects all of us. It affects all of us. It affects our ability to lead other people. It affects our ability to see other people the way the Lord wants us to see them. And, and so this morning, we need to be reminded that we all probably have a beam in our eye. And, and the Lord wants to take care of that. Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 51, it's not on the screen, but the Bible says, Mine eye affecteth mine heart. Where's the beam that the Lord's trying to draw attention to in those disciples' lives and those Pharisees' lives? Where's the beam in their, in their eye? And the Bible tells us that our eye affects our heart. 
And so listen, if, if our eye is blinded, can I just tell you that your heart won't be sensitive to the things of God, to the Word of God, to the people of God, to the ministry of God. God says you've got to beam, and it's going to affect your, your ability to lead other people. And so here's the key principle we want to get down. Becoming capable ministers has as much to do with how we live as much as what we know or who we know. In other words, we would all say, man, I, I know I'm saved. I've even been through discipleship at Community Fellowship Baptist Church. Man, I'm a disciple maker. Well, that's awesome. But how you live actually is what absolutely marries with who you know and what you know as far as Christ and the Word of God. How you live is really the third leg of that stool that makes your ministry effective. In other words, if you don't live out what you know, well, God just says you're a hypocrite. And he says, I'm a hypocrite. And, and none of us want to be hypocrites. As a matter of fact, that's one of the criticisms we have against Christianity. They're all a bunch of uh, you said that too. You heard that, you heard that criticism too. A hypocrite just means that they know one thing, but they don't live it out practically. And here's what we have to make sure that we're careful of as, as 21st century Christians and potential Pharisees. We, did, we need to make sure that we don't mistake religious activity for personal repentance. We need to make sure that we don't mistake religious activity for personal repentance. Man, listen, the Lord wanted certainly to, to have those Pharisees respond to him. And the Lord wanted those disciples to respond to him. And he wanted to use them to lead other people. But, but, but religious activity is no substitute for personal repentance. In other words, before we preach to other people, we've got to learn to preach to ourselves. Okay, Romans chapter 2. So Paul even echoed this, right? Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? And these are rhetorical questions. Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy boast of the law, through breaking the law dishonorest thou God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, as it's written. And there's the key right there for all of us. When, when we live in a state of hypocrisy and we don't see the beam in our own eye and we try to replace personal repentance with religious activity, God says that we blaspheme the word of God in the name of God. We blaspheme it. In other words, in other words, we make it of none effect. And listen, we've all said this, man. Many of us have sat through church and we've heard sermons and we've heard preaching. And we probably all said it like this. I hear it all the time. Look, I sure wish so-and-so would have been here to hear this message. I mean, that's what you're thinking right now because you're not thinking this message is for you. It's for the person that you thought should have been here. Man, I sure wish that they would have been here to hear. I'm going to point them to the website so they can catch up on this or have them subscribe to the podcast. Okay, no. What, what you just did is that you spotted a moat in somebody else's eye without realizing the beam in your own eye. We, we do that, man, don't we? Okay, well, the spiritual people, super spiritual, turn your halo down. We all do it. Okay. Uh, here's where we have to come. We have to come to the place that every sermon, every message, every Bible study, every time in God's Word, every do devotion, it's for me first. It's for me first. It's for me first. 
If I'm a disciple maker, guess what? That lesson that I'm teaching that disciple is for me first. It's for me first. It's for me first. You, you know, listen, I had this in my notes. I thought about not reading it because I don't want to sound like super spiritual because I'm not. But listen, you know, there's a reason when we do in the, the invitation that I'm usually the first one on the altar. One, because I'm closer to it than you, so I beat you, like in the race. <laughs> but secondly, because I need it. You know, God deals with a guy teaching. Colin found that out this morning. Colin teaching in Sunday school. God deals with a guy that's prepping and praying and, and preparing to teach. He certainly deals with it, deals with him while he's preparing. And then as he's delivering it, God continues to deal with him. Me first, Lord. Let, let me be changed first. I want this message to affect my life first. And listen, if it'll affect my life, God, you can help me get the beam out. And then I can effectively minister to other people. So here's the solution that the Lord gives. The solution is that we have to prioritize personal holiness. We have to prioritize personal holiness. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 24, when the Lord kind of, you know, he gives the hard saying, thou hypocrite, then he gives the solution. Cast out first the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to pull the moat, pull out the moat that's in thy brother's eye. So there is a priority. There is a priority. There's a process of priority. First, we have to get the beam out of our eye. And God tells us we need to cast that beam out. And if you study that phrase in the Bible, the first mention of that is going to take you back to Genesis 21. And there's a story in Genesis 21 about Abraham. And God wanted to bless Abraham. And God said, you're going to be fruitful and multiply. And, and I'm going to give you all this land. And your children are going to be as the stars in heaven and as the sand on the seashore. There's only one problem. Abraham and his wife didn't have any children, and he's an old man. And, and so God says, that's no problem for me. Quit worrying about it. You're going you're gonna to have a child when I feel like it's ready for you to have a child. And, and Abraham and Sarah got impatient, and uh, they came up with a solution that was not God's solution. And if you've studied the story, you know that, that Sarah had a, a handmaid named Hagar. And, and she took Hagar and said, here, uh, Abraham... You have children with her, and we'll call it our kid, and, and, uh, and that was just a work of the flesh. That was human reasoning at its best. Hey, this is the best we can figure it out, right? And, and so they do that, and, and the result of that union was, was offspring, but it wasn't God's plan. And so in Genesis 21 and verse 10, God has to deal with Abraham and deal with Sarah, and they finally realize, hey, this, the fruit of our flesh is not profitable, and it's not what God wanted, and we need to cast it out. Genesis 21, verse 10, wherefore she said to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, Isaac, even with Isaac. So you have Ishmael and Isaac, and, and, and the point is, the fruit of us walking in the flesh, the beam in our eye, it's got to get cast out. It's got to get cast out. And only you can do that. Only you can cast that out of your life. Listen, when God reveals whatever your beam is, and whatever your beam is this week may change, once you cast that one out, there's always a possibility to get another one. You have to completely surrender yourself to God's Word on a daily basis. You know, 1 Corinthians 11, the, 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 the context of 1 Corinthians 11 is the Lord's Supper, uh, celebrating communion. God does tell us during that process that we're to examine ourselves as we come to the Lord's 
table. In 2 Corinthians 11, verses 31 to 32, the Bible says that we should judge ourselves, and if we do that, we shouldn't be judged. You know, listen, every, every time God's Word's open in our life, it is for us to take that and examine our, our life through that filter of God's Word. Lord, what is it that's in my life that's not lining up with your Word? And Lord, let me cast it out, okay? Uh, listen, every, every Sunday school teacher, every discipler, every preacher in our church, listen, you had better examine yourself first before you ever open this book and teach it to somebody else. I'm telling you, there's a danger that we have a beam in our eye. We need to have the attitude of Psalm 139, and I just kind of put it on the screen. Look, Psalm 139, the psalmist had the right attitude. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't have the attitude toward others in the sense that, hey, everybody else, God, you need to deal with them. No, he said, God, deal with me. He said in Psalm 139, verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in, in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's got to be our heart, church, when we come to God's word. That has to be the the, the mindset that, Lord, I want to be open, and you already are open, whether you realize it or not, and naked before him. And whatever you think you have tucked away and hidden away, friend, you can't hide it from the Lord. Adam and Eve tried that trick in the garden, and the Lord knew right where to go to find them. Listen, listen, having the attitude that, Lord, I know that I have issues, and I want to open myself to you so that I can learn of you, change the way I think, change my heart's desire, search me. If there's any sin and wickedness in my life, Lord, reveal it to me so I can cast it out so you can lead me. And then ultimately, God, you can use me to lead other people. Well, that's the point. The point is we all have a moat, excuse me, a beam that that blinds us. And here's the second realization from the story that we'll gather this morning is this. Look, your brother may also have a moat that needs to be removed. And, and this is kind of the, 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 the extension of your personal holiness is now ministry. It's to serve other people and to help other people. And so back in the passage, it says this, then, then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the moat out of thy brother's eye. Now, where is the moat, the splinter? Where is it located in your brother? It's in his, it's in his eye, and his eye affects his heart. And it does tell us that that moat in his eye can be seen. It can be seen. You say, no, man, you don't know me. Okay, well, maybe I don't. I do think that a man that's right with God, God gives him clarity to see his brothers and sisters in Christ, especially as it relates to their spiritual need. In other words... If I walk with God and I, and I cast the beam out of my eye, I'm now capable and able to be used of God to minister to other people. And, and God gives clarity. I, I, hey, man, I love you, but I, here's what I see in your life. And, and, you know, Colin taught this morning in, in Sunday school. He taught about the church as a body, and he talked about the membership aspect of a local church, and he nailed it, man. He hit it out of the park. And and one of the things that we don't want, man, is, is inclusion. <laughs> we want exclusion. We want to we just, okay, not too far. I'm not going to commit to a local church. I'm not going to commit to a church family. I'm not going to do all those things because that makes me accountable. 
It makes me accountable. Like people may actually talk to me. That's a strange concept, isn't it? They may even ask me a question like, how's your week been? Or maybe a more personal question, man, how's your time with the Lord this week? Man, what have you learned from the Lord this week? What are some things the Lord's dealing with you? How can I pray for you? Well, those make us uncomfortable. You know, my, 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 my understanding of this in my own life is the reason that, that makes me uncomfortable is, is sometimes because I got something in my eye. And when somebody spots it and they approach me and they realize that they're trying to minister to me, it makes me uncomfortable. Surgery is uncomfortable, right? And yet, this is what we need. And so in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 16, the Bible does tell us, if any man see his brother sin a sin, which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There's a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. And I just want to take the application out of this verse. There are, there are times where you see your brother and sister in sin. And if you see it, well, God wants you to be a part of the restoration process. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1 says this, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, not carnal, spiritual, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if any man think himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceiveth himself. You say, well, man, I don't, I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I want to do that. Well, listen, God wants to use you to minister to other people. Why would you not want to do what God's called you to do? And, and here's the problem, and, and I know we're almost out of time, but listen, here's the problem that most of us face in this issue. We were good with the sermon up until this. Okay, Jay, I got it. Let, I got to get the beam out of my eye. Okay, but now I have to actually do something after I get the beam out of my eye. And that makes me really uncomfortable. It makes me really uncomfortable. So, so here's the problem that we have to deal with according to this portion of Scripture. Here's the problem, number one. Look, sometimes we will see our brother's sin as so significant that we'll overlook our own sin and we'll continue to walk in carnality. We, we will see our brother's sin as so significant that we'll overlook our own sin and we will continue to walk in carnality. A shorter way of saying that is, at least I'm not as bad as fill in the blank. And don't look at the person next to you right now. <laughs> you don't want them thinking that that's them, all right? At least I'm not as bad as fill in the blank. Listen, a carnally-minded Christian cannot and will not be equipped or able to truly minister to his brethren. You still got a beam. You can't, you can't measure sin and say, well, okay, I know I have issues, but they got way more issues. Don't look at me while I say that, okay? They got way more issues. Okay, well, that, that's no reason to overlook your own beam. That's no reason to continue to walk in carnality. As a matter of fact, it should be a wake-up call that you need to do business with God. You need to do business with God. The second problem that we have to deal with on this point is you see your sin sometimes as something that excuses you from being used of God to minister to other people. In other words, you would say, well, I've got so many of my own issues, I don't want to be a hypocrite. Well, you already are. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> welcome to the club. There is no excuse from the Great Commission for the child of God. 
There is no excuse from loving your brethren. There is no excuse from trying to lead men into a closer relationship with Christ. There's no excuse for not wanting to be a witness for Christ. There's no excuse for not wanting to build your brothers and sisters up in Christ. You say, I can't do that. Well, good. That's why you need the Lord. That's why you need the Lord. You need to be led, and the Lord needs to lead you, or or, or let God put other men and women in your life to lead you so that you can become a leader of other men. And the reality is that we all need to cast some things out of our life. And then we need to love our brethren enough to actually have the conversation sometimes. Man, I love you. And here's the key. Let me set this up again. We should all be open to these words from our brother in Christ. You ready? Here they are. Here's what I see in your life. Here's what I see in your life. You say, man, that... that sounds really scary to me. Well, maybe it is. You know, I've been saved a long time, uh, a, a minute anyways. I got saved when I was 21. I'm not going to tell you how old I am now, but it's almost 23 years. So for you non-math people, you still think I'm like 30. So God bless you. Uh, <laughs> can I just tell you that there have been times in my life where people that were part of the body of Christ came to me and said, man, look, I love you but here's what I see in your life, and I love you enough to ask you about it. Is everything okay with you and the Lord? Okay, that's a, you know, depending on how you answer that question depends on a lot of how a lot of things go after that question. Does that make sense? And I'm thankful that there were people in my life that God put there that, man, they were walking with God. They were spiritual. They weren't carnal. They saw me being overtaken in a fault, and they said, Hey, you okay? <laughs> Actually, no, man, I'm not. And here's what's going on. And God was able to use that conversation to bring me back to a point of restoration. Does that make sense? One, why would you not want that for your life? Do you want to keep just destroying your life? Running away from God? Running into sin? Running into carnality? Like, like literally preparing to fail at the judgment seat of Christ? Why would you want to continue to do that? And, and why would you want the person that's supposed to love you like Jesus not to approach you and have that conversation? Look, we need that in our life. We need it in our life. So in closing, look, we're done. We're done. But listen, I do have two questions. And, and these are the most important questions because this is how we respond to what we've learned this morning. Look, number one, would we acknowledge that we have a beam in our eye that's, that's blinding us from ministering to other people? What is it? What is the beam <laughs> that's the, the, the four by four, the four by six that's sticking out of my eye? And I'm really critical, man, because I can spot it in your life. I can spot the splinter, the, the minute detail. I mean, you didn't even wash your hands before you got a donut this morning. I saw it, and it makes me sick. Okay, I saw it, and ugh. Okay, well, whatever. What's in your eye? What is in your eye that needs to be dealt with so that you can see clearly? So the first question has to deal with us personally. The second question is, can you see clearly, and what do you see clearly in the life of your brother? You know, I think, I think in the modern church, we have adop- adopted the ministry philosophy of Cain. Am I my brother's keeper? Uh, actually, yes, you are. You are. You know, the Lord came to Cain to ask him where his brother was. 
There's a philosophy of ministry all the way back in the book of Genesis that we really are our brother's keeper. I think many times in the church, man, we'd rather see our our brother die in his sin or, or maybe even be instrumental in his death spiritually than we would seeing him restored. God help us not to be like that. You have a responsibility, church, to love your brethren. We've, we've studied that extensively in 1 John on Wednesday night. You have a responsibility to love your brother the way Christ loves you. And also, when you see things in his life, you have the responsibility to speak up. And don't let them wander off in the wilderness. Don't let them wander off in sin. Don't let them continue down the path without you loving them enough to come say, Hey, man, you okay? Are you okay? Can we talk? And if you do that, I think they'll know, well, you know, God's in this. God's in this. All right, let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we love you. Lord, I, I pray as we consider these things, Lord, we, we need to do inventory.